All right, so we're in week number two. We're going to just jump right into it of building blocks for partnership with God. I don't think there's something I don't see a lot in the modern day church, and, and that is the. Sorry, can I have somebody move this? Can I, can I, am I allowed to move this? Thanks. I don't want to break things. Thanks, Adriel. I don't see a revelation of what it was in Scripture of the desire that God has in His heart to partner with people. There is a, a, an incorrect view of God the Father, of the love of His heart, of what it means to actually partner with people to get things done on the earth, whether it be signs and wonders, whether it be salvation, whether it be moving a single heart, changing the heart of, a, of an addict, whatever it may be, to, to even replace certain powers and certain nations. There is a partnership with God, and there are building blocks that I see in the life of David that he built over time. Who knows what it's like when you, I said this last week, I'm trying to do a recap as fast as I can, and we just don't have the time to get into all of it. But you do different things in different seasons of your life. And when you were doing them, you think, this is like, this is everything for me. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And then the season changes, and you do something else, and then it changes. And then you get a little older, and you take all those different pieces of your life, and they've become like building blocks for you to do what you're actually called to do. So we're looking at it that way. And with everything that is going on in the world, in, the, in all the three different structures that I see in Scripture of authority, you get a government talking about a nation, government authority, ecclesiastical or church authority, and familial authority in a family. Each one of those three are different structures of authority that God has set up in the Scriptures, and not one of them actually should be able to tell the other one what to do. So, when every one of these, as they are right now in the world, are in a sense up in arms, Everything that God designed about family is being challenged. Everything. And not just in this nation, in many, many nations across the world. Government is, there's a lot happening, we'll just say. I've spoken to that last week. It's nothing new. It's happened before thousands and thousands of years. It keeps happening. So when everything is like this, and I, I believe that David grew up in a, in a time much like this. We may not perceive that when we read scripture, but they had their first king. And Samuel warned him, he said, if you, if you want a king, he's going to take your children because he's going to want an army. And so they had a brand new system of government, so everything is changing. They've never had a, a king, a monarch before. And so their whole world was changing. Now the king wants to kill him. The king's jealous of David. So David grew up when all of Israel was going through like a, a turmoil and change, even though it was, in a sense, an answer to prayer. Then it was all... The king's heart changed, and we know the story. So he grew up in a, in a time where everything was moving, everything was shifting. And he, there are certain things that we see develop in David's life that I don't see much in the pages of Scripture before him. And he developed them partly because he had to. The first one is here, that's what we're going to talk about today, is he inquired of the Lord. It says frequently, he inquired of the Lord, he inquired of the Lord. And you don't see... A person doing that, obviously people prayed before, but a ruler to inquire of the Lord for almost every decision. And you can do a study if you want to. Go and look at the times when it says, David thought to himself, and what ended up happening wasn't good. There's a bunch of them. It says, David thought in his heart. And the times where it says, David inquired of the Lord. 
And then he developed a few other things. He developed uh, the ability to strengthen himself in God, which we'll get into for the next few weeks after today, which has to do with worship. And David developed strategic use of strongholds. I spoke about this last week. And because of those three that he developed, he actually, the Bible says he lived in strongholds, which I don't want to preach about that now, although like I want to in my heart, you know, but I'm trying to get distracted. But David knew how and when and who to fight because of these three things that he developed, that he was not taught. He developed them in his private time with the Lord. So today, we're not going to go back and read Samuel, one and one or two Samuel a little bit. I just want to jump straight into prayer for the sake of time. And we're going to talk about prayer. And if you know me at all, you'll know that is very precious to my heart. It's something that I've pioneered in my own heart and in my own life. And we never become an expert on it. But we grow in it. Yeah? So, James 4. The necessity of prayer. James 4, 2 says you, you do not have because you do not ask. And it infers that lack, prayerlessness leads to lack. And what I don't like about when I hear messages on prayer, it's very easy to become legalistic or religious about it. I could say it to any person at any time. You should pray more. That's useless. Unless it comes from conviction in a person's heart that the Spirit of God has put there, that is in a sense a call to prayer. That is very, very different. So, but it, the Scripture does say that, that I do believe it's true, that prayerlessness leads to lack of some sort. And something else will actually fill the gap. And I, people have a strange relationship to prayer. I, I hear, especially in religious circles, I hear people say, you know, God can hear your thoughts. But they say it like negative. You know, like he's, he's trying to catch you, like, oh, he can hear your thoughts. But then when those same people come to pray, those are the ones that end up in my office. I don't think God can hear me pray. I'm like, it's just all these religious concepts and things that we have that are not real. And prayer must become real. So I'm going to read you a few quotes on prayer just to stir your heart a little bit. Man must, of first importance, be a man that prays. Just every once in a while he prays. This may, by God's grace, lead him to be a man of prayer. It is on this path alone that one may be found to be a man of God. How's this? I'm going to read about 10 to you. Work as if you were to live 100 years. Pray as if you were to die tomorrow. Benjamin Franklin. Nothing tends more to cement the hearts of Christians than praying together. Never do they love one another so well as when they witness the outpouring of each other's hearts in prayer. That's true. You want to know what is inside a person's heart? Listen to them pray. It is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. Hudson Taylor, missionary to China. I think he would know what it is to pray for a person when they're not around, not in front of you, not laying hands, just to pray. Many, sorry, men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Jason Lobaxter. To desire revival and at the same time to neglect prayer and devotion is to wish one way and walk another. The next guy, Edwin Orr, says, History is silent about revivals that did not begin with prayer. I like that. 
We'll skip the next one, go to Dan Hayes. He says, all I know, I think this was said in frustration, all I know is that when I pray, coincidences happen, and when I don't pray, they don't. Uh, yep. Charles Stanley, great man, recently passed away. He says, an unschooled man who knows how to meditate upon the Lord has learned far more than the man with the highest education who does not know how to meditate. I have found that to be true. So I know I did this a little last week. We started in this. I just want to move a little bit into story mode. I don't want to give you theology on prayer. I haven't found that helps a lot of people. And so I know I started telling a bit of the story last week. I just want to share from my own life and my own heart, just a, a passion and a desire for prayer. When I got saved, I just had this desire to pray. I knew in my heart, I don't know what it was. People say, oh, it's because you're a prophetic person. And it's not that. But I had this desire to pray and to know the voice of the Lord and for his presence. And so I decided to become a man of prayer. Early on, just soon after I got saved. So I'm going to become a man of prayer. And soon after that, I found that was not easy. And obviously, I struggled. And I found very quickly these things. And I said this last week. It's not normal. It's not natural. No person out of their natural self says, I want to go pray. Because it doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. They don't know how to do it. They don't know what to say. It's very easy to pray. You just speak. But like after a couple minutes, you're like, kind of all out of material and complaints and, you know, people that I'm mad with and things that I want. So uh, I don't know what to do. And I found that was true of myself. And I realized I didn't know how to pray. And I also realized that when I was praying in corporate with other people, uh, it's much easier. I could, in a sense, you jump into a river that somebody else has paid for with their life to get flowing. And you jump in the river and you're swimming, but you're swimming in the same direction. You're like, man, this is great. This is wonderful. I'm just so anointed. This is great. Then when I would get alone with the Lord, I was very quickly overcome. And was largely because I didn't have this in me. And so the questions that would rise in my heart, things like, should I pray this way? Can I pray like this? Why do I feel like this? Why do I feel like he's not there? Why? What's happening? What's going on? I don't. And I was very quickly overcome because I didn't have truth in me. And so I never really went to Scripture, and I, a lot of you have, you know, oh, you're a good teacher and all of that. I never went to Scripture so much to study the Bible. I used to, I just had a passion for the Word because I was overcome so quickly in prayer, and I wanted to know the truth about some of the things that would come up. Is it me? Is it the enemy? Is it the Lord? And I didn't know. So I'd get stuck very quickly. And so because I wanted to know the Lord in prayer, I started to go here. And I said this as well, I think last week. We had a long week, a lot of meetings. So sometimes I'm like, I can't quite remember what we covered last week. But we were in a largest church and I went to, I think it was 12 different of the elders. And I asked each one of them, and I was developing this trial and error process in prayer. I kept these extensive journals and kind of just kept all of that part to myself. And uh, I had a lot of alone time, you know, single man. And I went to each one of them, and I was surprised that when I asked about prayer, and this is not a 
there's nothing bad about them. Different people are called to different things. They would give me, in a sense, that you know, the generic scriptures, generic answers, but I would push them a little bit. You know, yes, I get that, but I want to get to know God, and I would start to give them a bit of my trial and error process, and and help me. And all of them except the one ended up saying something like, "I struggle too. I'm not so sure. I just prefer to study the Bible." And so, then I read Romans eight, and Romans eight says, "We do not know how to pray as we ought." Well, that was helpful. I was like, I'm not crazy. You know, that was, that was very, very helpful. And so the way that I took that was there were certain things you can't learn from men, even if they are called to and have this heart for prayer. There are things about prayer and about speaking to the Lord that you cannot learn from them. You can only learn from the Spirit of God. So just start. Just start. They're not going to have questions that help you anyway. They're probably going to confuse you. It's a very individual journey because they'll, they'll say something to you that has meant the world to them. And when you get into that secret place of prayer and you're starting to persevere in prayer, and then you think, and then what they said comes up and it messes you all up because it's for them. It doesn't mean it's for you. It really doesn't. So there obviously are some basics, but we're talking to push past that. So these scriptures that I will quickly list for you became so precious to me, so valuable to me, uh, and they listed up there behind me. And they, in a sense, represent different types of prayer, and I'm not, we're going to get into some of that today. But those scriptures became everything to me. I used to read them. I wrote them actually on the walls. I was living in actually I think what used to be a library or a closet, I don't know, I remember, on the church property. And I started writing all over the walls. I rewrote half a book of Hebrews on the walls, and I got into trouble. So I had to get rid of that. But I just started to write these things out. I even had thumbtacks. I would stick thumbtacks and tie a little string and take it to the next one and string. And people said, you're a little uh, strange. And I've realized that I am, but I'm okay with it. But the first lesson we want to talk about from the life of David when he inquired of the Lord when it comes to prayer and I know, again, I know we talked about this last week, but I want to go a little bit further into it. He said something very interesting. He said there was Abiathar, the priest. Abiathar was the son of Ahimelech, who was the high priest. Saul killed all the priests. He didn't like them because they liked David. An insecure king will do that. So he kills them all, even the high priest. But the high priest had a, the, the robe or the ephod. It's just like a robe of a high priest. And that's what they used, used to use in the most holy place. So Abiathar, the high priest Ahimelech, his son, he escapes and he grabs the robe. And he escapes to where David is at the stronghold. And it says David, it says multiple times David would inquire of the Lord. And the first four or five times he says that, he turns to Abiathar and he says, bring me the ephod. And when I read that many years ago, it's, it, it was like it pierced my heart. The Lord gave me such an understanding of this, such a revelation of this. Because David was a king. That's his call. Everyone, a person has a call of God. There's a call of God on your life. The hand of God is on your life, whether you're aware of it or not. It is. And there is a call of God. And that gets more specific as you work it out with the Lord. But he didn't go to the Lord with his call. David was a prophet. Acts chapter 2 says that. He was a prophet. He didn't, in a sense, use the prophetic in him. I mean, we see from the Psalms to inquire of the Lord. He inquired of the Lord as a priest. 
He took a robe of his high priest and he covered himself in that robe. And then he stepped into the presence of the Lord and began to inquire of the Lord, even though he wasn't a priest. It's a prophetic picture of when you and me as New Testament believers, the Bible says in Revelations 1 verse 5 and 6 that he has made us kings and priests. It's not priest like, you know, a guy with a collar. I'm talking every saint, every believer is a priest. We used to get this drilled into us, priesthood of all believers. We're all priests. And how many of you are so quickly overwhelmed? I know because I, I still have to remind myself of this constantly. You go into the place of prayer, you start to pray. What comes up in your heart? All the junk. Hello? All the stuff. The stuff you did yesterday. I kicked the dog. I shouted at the kids. Whatever. All the stuff comes up to make you feel like almost unworthy. And you spend a whole bunch of time getting over that. And then you're like, okay, I feel better. Thanks. Goodbye. And, and there's, there's not actual connection. David, who was a man that did some interesting things, was always able to inquire of the Lord, but he took the robe of his high priest, put it over him. And because he wore that, he could inquire of the Lord regardless of what was happening in his life. It's called grace. Who's our high priest? What does the Bible say? Let's read in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, Seeing then we have a high priest, that's Christ, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Says it also in Hebrews 10. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart, and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Remember that. Now where there is remission of these sins and lawless deeds, there is no longer an offering for sin. Jesus was a once-for-all sacrifice. Therefore, brethren, brothers, brethren's fancy, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated, so he consecrated even the way into the presence of the Lord, through the veil that is his flesh. Pause. They used to go through a veil. We know this, but the veil was a physical veil. We don't go through that same veil. Our veil is the suffering of Jesus Christ. We walk through what he suffered, in a sense, as a veil. And by that we have access. Not by your suffering. Not by your suffering. Not even by how much good you've done. Not by how much you prayed. Not None of that. Zero. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith in full assurance, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Without wavering actually is something, it was a construction term in the Hebrew there. It was a plumb line and they used to tie all sorts of things to it so that it would not move from, from absolute perpendicular 90 degrees. And what it's saying is when you go into the presence of the Lord, Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 10, 
If you go in thinking that anything in your life gives you access, you will be overcome like that. We have to hear this. And, and people who struggle with legalism, I get it. It's a default setting for human beings to go back to legalism, to go back to works. And so what I did was I learned I had to come to understand the grace of God, what Jesus has done for me, the truth of the gospel, and take the robe of my high priest, the King of Kings, and in a sense put that on and then go and inquire of the Lord. What would happen if the church, modern church, actually believed you and me actually believed that they could step into the presence of the Lord regardless of where their life is because they wear the high priest robe, the robe of the same righteousness as God's, and they can go into his presence and actually ask him and inquire of him any question they want. And it is his desire to respond. What would the church look like? For real. Not just nice little sermon, if it was in your life like that, in your mind and in your heart. Now, I'll be honest, it took me four years of studying grace to believe it and test it over and over and over and over. And all my friends, of course, used to mock me, you think you're holy. And it was, it's a trial and error process. I, we must grab a hold of the Lord. I must get to know Him personally. I must know His voice. I must know his presence. And when I found, when I went to pray, I was so quickly overcome because of my own stuff. But when we recognize that we go in as a king and a priest, I don't go in with my call. I don't go in with my gifts. That's irrelevant. I go in with a robe that I didn't pay for. Very, very important. I call it the position of prayer. Because who you think God is, A.W. Tozer said, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Who you think God is and how you think he sees you will determine whether you can actually get to know him and actually pray. So, number next. The enemy will do anything he can to stop prayer. Now I want to talk, just let's read Matthew 6, the next verse that became really, we're going to spend a little while here. I'm going to go through this as fast as I can because I'd love to get to Luke 11. This is talking about some form of a daily routine. Please hear me. Don't get legalistic. I really mean that. The Lord knows your season. You know, you haven't slept all night. The baby's crying. You, you know, you get up and, you, you know, you have this, if I don't do this, God's mad with me. Listen, that's not true. He gets your season. But, Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, Jesus speaking, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, Pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows 
the things you have need of. Very quickly. But you, when you pray. What does he say? When you pray. So, I say, go into your room and put your ephod on. Put your robe on. I do this almost every time. Because even though I know it here, even though I have conviction of it, even though I preach it, we are, there's no difference between us. You know, we're all the same. We're all people. And my life, you know, you're going through stuff and I got to mow the lawn and I got to, you know, my, my wife is, she's going to, you know, get mad because I didn't do that or whatever. I, you go through stuff. So you go in and I have to clear that out. But I go into a time to pray, whether it's two minutes or two hours, doesn't matter. Instantly, just start. I thank you that I can come to you, Lord, because I am righteous in your sight. I take what Jesus has won for me. I wear it as a robe. I put it on now, regardless of how I feel. I don't often feel very righteous. And you just go into your room to the Lord and you just do something, whatever it is for you. Maybe it's a song. Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's a scripture you want to read. That we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Whatever it is for you, you go in and you position yourself to pray as a priest. To go in and position yourself, I come to you now, Lord, because of Jesus, I can do this. I say things like, Lord, I thank you that you can hear my voice. And people look at me strange, even, you know, you've prophesied over politicians and you've done those things. You still do that? Yeah, because we're all people. I thank you, Lord, that you can hear my voice. I thank you that it is your desire to speak to me. I thank you that I can hear you. Just basic, basic. And you take your tools with you every time. A notebook, pen, Bible, and if needs be, worship. Then, when you start to pray, things will come up in your mind and you'll learn. If you actually start to pioneer a prayer lifestyle, you'll learn what is distraction and what is the Lord reminding you. I used to write everything down. Little things, distractions, just, you know, I've got to iron something. I've got to do this. And it all seems to come up when you start to pray. Amazing. I lost the car key. Suddenly I remember where those are. Well, that actually never happens. I'm, so I, I lose those, sadly, every day. So... These things, I just write them down to get them out. And often I find later on, it's actually the Lord saying, hey, don't forget this, don't forget this. He cares for you. He's a father. It's not, oh, the demonic is distracting me. No, it's just the Lord saying, hey, you know, reminding you. Then it says, when you have shut your door, I will say this, I'm going to go through this fast. Be inaccessible to others. There must come a time where you are not accessible. I wish I had time to preach about that. People say, oh, my children need to get home. Listen, for thousands of years, thousands of years, they could find a couple moments. Just be inaccessible. If you have to tell your spouse or whatever, tell them. As best as you can. I get it. We're busy. I get that. As best as you can. He says, when you have shut the door. Jesus speaking. Think about this. All the stuff that comes up in our heart when we pray. Jesus was sinless. Yet he prayed. Why? 
because of partnership. I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what my father says. Then he says, pray to your father who is in secret. So very quickly, pray out loud. I know this is basic, but I'm astounded at the, it's, it's what people need. Pray out loud, not in your head. Why? Well, Jesus said to do it, and Jesus did it. That's enough for me. Pray out loud, not in your head. There's a scripture that says, why in secret? A commentary from 500 years ago says, his eye is upon you to receive you when the eye of no man is upon you to applaud. Pray to your Father who is in secret. Then he says, your Father who sees in secret shall reward you in the open. That word open is phanaros, uh, from phanarosis, from like the manifestation, the gifts of the Spirit. Phanaros. In other words, he will reward you. He will make manifest the things you have gone to him about in secret. That's what it says. You all have disappointments, I get it. You've all prayed and nothing's happened, I get it. This is what the scripture says. When you go to him in secret, and your heart, and you're praying to him in secret, and you're wearing the robe of your high priest, and you're speaking to him, it's not based on your life, it's based on the life of Jesus that he lived for you, and now you have access to your father, that is the New Testament, that is the new covenant by the blood of Jesus, and I'm praying and I'm inquiring of the Lord. He says, what you ask for, what you speak about, what you... What you seek answers for, what you're inquiring about in secret, it will become manifest to you. It will happen. Maybe not when you want it, and not how you want it, but it will. And I also say, don't, just, don't wait, just start. Jews pray three times a day, Muslims pray five times a day. And they pray when they're up, they pray when they're down, they pray when they're broke. They pray, they pray when they're blessed, they pray when they're sad, they pray when they're happy. Christians have this funny thing of, I pray when it's like a other, you know, all we can do now is pray. That's like the last thing. Like, you know, I've tried everything else. I've used this great brain God's given me. I've tried to bribe someone. I'm like, I've tried all of it. Dang it, you know. Now I have to pray. And then when we pray, we're like, it didn't feel nice. I didn't. Nah, don't work. Prayer doesn't work. It's a lifestyle. It's got not much to do with how you feel. So, I was going to talk about routine but, and, and having a written prayer. Uh, I don't have time to get over that. Can I, can I skip over that? But I'll just say this. I encourage you in this journey of learning what it means to just be a person of prayer Try and make sure the first words that come out of your mouth in the morning are not negative. When I did this little thing in my own, the Lord spoke to me and told me, you know, what's your first words? I was amazed. I woke up every morning with a complaint. I'm so tired. My back's sore. Oh, I, just, oh, I need to lose more weight. Oh, whatever. Every morning, complaint, negative. And so I wrote a prayer. Because when you wake up in the morning, and sometimes... Uh, and now it's just, you know, sometimes you have to go to an extreme just to develop something and then it, it becomes balanced. And I woke up every morning and I, I wrote a prayer that I started to read, sometimes in the shower, sometimes in the bathroom. First thing you say, just even if it's all you have time for, in the car, in the shower, two minutes, three minutes, just begin to speak to your father. Just speak to him. Just start. 
Don't have all the answers. Just start. I did two things when I started to learn how to pray. As I said, I didn't know. I was so quickly overcome because I wasn't shored up in scriptures. I went to get the truth. But what I did was instead of getting discouraged with, uh, it's not working. It feels like a, you pray and you feel like it's concrete. Like you're in a concrete room in the middle of a desert. Is it just me? You know, and it's like awful. And the questions that would come up, can I pray like this? Lord, can I ask you this? Am I doing this? Am I? I started when I couldn't go to people about it. I started to use that as very positive signs. I'd say, okay, that all that is is direction on what I need to read about here. And there's plenty of people that can tell you where scriptures are on certain things. They all know that. So I just took the struggle in getting to know the Father. When I would struggle, I'd say, okay, that's my direction. Then I would take that as direction and come here. That's the only thing I knew how to do. And it started to excite me. I know that's strange. But it started to excite me when there's a block. I'm like, well, I'm going to go figure that out. I can go straight to here. The other thing I started to do was I started to ask God the questions that I would ask people. I cannot tell you how helpful that was for me, personally. Just started to ask the Lord. You know, you'd ask a person, when this happens, I don't understand. Can I do this? Can I? And you're wanting them to just give you the answer. I started to ask God that stuff. Just like that. Lord, I don't understand. I mean, you say you're answering, but I mean, there's nothing happening. So what's going on? I would just speak to him like that. And it wasn't this card comes down, boom, thus saith me. You know, wasn't that. It was over the next few weeks. Suddenly, something, someone would say something, I'd read something, a scripture, a sermon, something, it would be an answer. Boom! And I would write it down, and write it down, and write it down, and take it into that practice. I must get to know the Lord. Now, <clears throat> number six, be real and be genuine. Huh. There are two things that the Lord says not to do. Again, this is not him doing this. It's he's trying to help you. He says, you shall not be like the hypocrites. And he says, do not use vain repetition. You shall not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in synagogues and on corners that they may be seen by men. I would just say this. Don't get into the method or mode of using a spiritual practice to seek recognition. I was so crippled, or you've heard the story, I was so crippled with insecurity after I got saved and when I was in South Africa. I don't know why, I was crippled. I just, I just, I don't know, I just was very insecure and, and I would struggle and what people thought of me and what the leaders thought and this hierarchical system that was there and I just struggled. And, and I, I mean, I didn't stand on street corners, but it's like, you know, look how spiritual I am. And that stuff begins to die. But it only begins to die when you're actually in the presence of the Father. And you feel the approval, the love, genuine love. It's got nothing to do with your behavior somehow. It's just He is love. And it begins to soak you and change you. And the Lord is saying, hey, don't use something spiritual as a means to get recognition to build your reputation for some fleshly reward. It says they have their reward, which is what? Not what they pray for, the recognition of people. 
So they'll get it, but they'll never get that. It's a subtle trick. It's all through the church. All through the church. And he also says, do not use vain repetition. Now, this may be strange to you, but this verse for a couple of years, it bugged me. Because I would get into a place of prayer, and I'm really, you know, you know when you're in that place of prayer, you're in the secret place, and, and you, there's things happening, and, and, and you're just beginning to pray, and, and it's been maybe a little bit of time, and you can feel the momentum of the Spirit. You know, that's what I'm talking about. And I would feel this, this need to like sometimes say the same thing again and again. How many of you know the enemy knows the Bible by heart? And this scripture was a blockage to me. Uh, is it, don't use vain repetition as the heathens do. And I would just find myself, oh God, oh God. And it's just, oh, don't use vain repetition. And it was like a blockage to me. And I know it's talking about as the heathens do, because they would, it, it, the word is batalatha. Don't batalatha, don't repeat mechanical phrases to get into a trance, almost like a seance, like a demonic seance, like a, like a trance to get into the spiritual realm. But Jesus tells you why not to use repetition. And he says this. He says, yes, for the obvious. You don't want to be like, pray like that, like they were doing. He says, for your father knows the things you have need of. So it's an interesting phrase. Because Matthew 6 is about need. It's about daily prayer, daily needs. It's just, I go to my father for the day. For manna, for that day, I just go to him. If it's long, short, doesn't matter. I go to him, just daily needs. And he's saying, if, if you go to him, your father already knows what you need, and you have to do, you know, God, please give me this. God, please. And he's saying, you are revealing, you're in your heart, you are revealing that you actually don't know who your father is. Because this is about needs. He's saying he already knows what you have need of. You don't need to beg him and cry out because, you know, it, that's an orphan mindset. And sometimes the Lord won't actually answer a prayer because you won't reinforce the mindset of a slave or the mindset of an orphan. And if that's how you think you've got to perform a song and a dance to get something, I must earn it. I must impress him with, look how much I'm sacrificing. He's already impressed with his son's sacrifice. And I don't have to do a song and a dance when it comes to daily needs. He already knows. And he's saying, don't do that. Now, Matthew 7, next chapter, ask and keep on asking. Matthew 6, don't keep asking. Matthew 7, keep asking. What the heck, Lord? Why? Matthew 7, and I'll be going to read that in a minute if we have a bit of time. Matthew 7, Luke 11 is about breakthrough and the, the things and the activity and the, the power of the Spirit on the behalf of somebody else. Matthew 6 is about needs. Don't come and do a song and a dance as a son before a father. You're revealing that you don't actually know his heart towards you. That's what Jesus said. He knows the things you have need of. And the thing that set me free was when I was asking, ask the Lord a question like you ask people. Lord, why do you I'm struggling? Tell me. Literally, in a dream, he came to me in a dream and read me the scriptures of the Garden of Gethsemane. 
and you go to all the Gospels and you put all those scriptures together, you know what it says? He went and prayed one time. And it says he went and prayed a second time and he said the same words. Actually says that. Repetition. He said exactly the same words. He went and prayed a third time. It says, and he said the same words. The Lord showed up in a dream and said, it's about need, son. Even the son went into that place, that mode of prayer, and began to cry out to God as a sinless man with a robe and began to cry out to God and said, God, God help whatever it is, Lord, over and over and over. Even Jesus. Can I, you guys good for another few minutes? I want to talk to you about travail. I was going to talk about, there's a few seeming contradictions like the one we just said. They seem to say the opposite, but they're very different. James 4, you, you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you ask amiss. John 15, ask, the, ask your father whatever you desire and it will be done for you. It's like what? Because John 15 is actually, if you read the context, about purpose. It's about the call of God in your life. In a sense, Noah could ask anything you wanted about the ark and it would have happened. If you abide in my word, you may ask what you desire. That is according to his word over your life. You can ask whatever when it comes to the purposes of God in your life. So when there's seeming contradiction in scripture, use those as an invitation. It offers revelation that will change your relationship with the Lord. If you just dig into it a little bit. Luke 11, travail. I say travail. People say it's travail. I don't know. I've listened to so much Leonard Ravenhill. He says, travail. So, Luke 11. Can you go in your Bibles to Luke 11? I don't actually have the scripture over on here. I'm going to read this fast. It's going to be about another eight, nine minutes. You guys okay with that? You good? Okay, Luke 11. Now it came to pass, as in verse 1, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. We've all heard it, but it's true. They never asked him to teach them how to preach, how to do miracles, how to prophesy, teach us to pray. Because obviously the way he prayed was very different to the Jewish way they prayed in that day. Then he tells a story. We know the prayer of the Lord, which I'll skip over. Not that it's not important. Calm down. It's great. But we're going to go to verse 5. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey. And I have now, by the way, this is, this is Matthew 7. Matthew 7, Luke 11, they say the same thing. But this is the Luke 11 text of it. A friend of me, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey. And I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, that word is uh, shameless audacity in the Greek, yet because, he is his, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and the Greek is ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread, 
from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Uh, if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent? If he asks for egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then being evil, meaning with a sinful nature, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So He tells this parable about two friends. And I, what I'm about to speak to you as fast as I can, I don't share often. I've done it, I think, once or twice before, because sometimes it has the wrong effect. It causes people to go into a works mentality, and I do not mean for that to happen. Because that doesn't help. But this is travail. Persistent prayer. And this is a tool that you develop. It's not like daily prayer. It's not just I go to the Father for my needs. This is different. Someone has come to me with a need. recognizes three people. Someone has come to me with a need. I have nothing to set before them. So I go to my friend. Obviously, that represents the Lord. Because I, have, I cannot answer your need. So I go to him and I persist there so that I may get what's required so may, I may give it to you. Very simple. And if you're in my position, it's happened many times. My dad knows what this is like. Somebody comes to you. My child has died. My spouse has cancer. My, we have no payment. We have no money. We have, there's witchcraft in the church, which is offense. I'm under strain. I'm whatever, some crisis. And you go before them, and you go before the Lord, and you begin to cry out to the Lord. It's not a few minutes. And you say, Lord, I... You've made a payment for what they're struggling with. This is not on your end. And you begin to pray. And you begin to pray. And you begin to pray. And it feels like the answer is just no. It feels nothing. And you begin to travail. And it's, I know what that's like. Lord, I have nothing to set before them. When a man came running up to me at a soccer practice, my child is about to die of cancer, two years old. And that I have nothing, it's not me, I have nothing to set before you. And I developed a little bit of this tool. We are all novices, we are all still learning with young people. Because I know what it's like when you're behind the curtain and people, you hear them, oh, when he comes out, people are going to start falling over and there's going to be wonderful things. And you're like, oh, goodness gracious. And you die and you die inside and you die inside and you die inside. But there's that travail. And you begin to pray. And you begin to pray. And you learn what it is to press through in prayer. And all sorts of things will come up in your mind. Scriptures. You're just trying to twist God's arm. Scriptures even. You're trying to manipulate God. You shouldn't be doing this. Or even <clears throat> everything that comes up. Push it aside. Push it aside. Push it aside. I must grab a hold of God. I must. Because I don't have what they need. But God, you do. I must grab a hold of him. And you travail, and you travail, and things come up. And sometimes it's every day for a little bit of time. <coughs> Excuse me. I used to put a blanket on the floor. And I would say to the Lord, I will not leave this blanket until you answer me. First time I did that big mistake, five hours. I was so hungry. 
But it was like, you know, break. And, and you just begin to pray. And let me tell you, friends, I've, it came to a place in my heart, in my life, where I didn't talk about it and I didn't even like doing it because there's this emotional risk of you will do everything you know and nothing will happen. But then you don't go on how you feel. We don't live by feelings. We live by truth. And I, you lift up the word, God, you have paid for this. And it's not on your end. It's not on your end. And you go again, and you go again, and you go again, and you go again. Until you grab a hold of God. They're asking for bread, and I don't have any, Lord. I must find you. I've learned one thing, and it's a tool that you eventually put in your belt, and it's not a, it's not a tool that I even enjoy. It's hard. And everything in your life will come up. The enemy will come at you like a flood. I'm telling you. Uh, there's so many stories I could tell. I mean, countless. I prayed, I started to do this. And one day there's a great breakthrough leader with a group of young people that were just on drugs and all sorts of things. And I'm called to this conference and I go there and I start to pray in this room by myself. Three, four hours. The first hour, my glands swelled up literally like I could hold them in my hands out of the blue. So I phoned my wife, can you bring me stuff? And then on the way, the Lord's like, what are you doing? That's, there's nothing wrong with you. It's like an attack. And you realize how it, things take place. By the time she got there, that had disappeared. And I began to cry out. One hour, nothing. Two hour, nothing. And that sounds easy. Friends, it is so difficult emotionally. But that's why you need to know what the Word says, that He's good. And I've learned, I'm not convincing God. It's not that. I'm not moving him. I'm not impressing him. When I've learned, when you persist in prayer, I fight, I change. He changes not for me. I change. And I began to pray. And man, the glory of God came in that room. And that's when I learned persistence. I walked out of that place and I walked into and kids just started falling out of their chairs. Screaming, getting healed, whatever. God paid for that 2,000 years ago. He changes not. And so this strange verse, there was like another blockage to me. And he says, I cannot come to you now. The door is now shut. It's like, why? Why is there this no when it comes to this type of prayer? Because this is not daily needs. This, I don't come as a son. It says I come as a friend. A servant doesn't know his master's business, John 15, but a friend does. I have to know his heart. I have to know the business of the father's heart. I have to know what the father's business is to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers. I have to know a friend knows what the father is about. Jesus said that. I come as a friend. I don't come as a son for daily needs. I come as a friend of God. I know him. And that verse that says, I cannot, because he is his friend, I will, he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, but because of his shameless audacity. And I took it the wrong way. And the Lord showed me, he said, 
Son, it's like this. The reason it's tough, the reason there's persistence, the reason there's a no, that's something above your pay grade. You and me, it's got nothing to do with you and me, son. You and me, we're good, but there's still persistence required. Why? I don't know. Often, and people come up with all these fancy answers, it's demonic, it's the fallen world, it's choices of people, it's issues in my life. I don't know. But it's him and me, we're good. That's what it actually means. You and me, I'm not going to rise or not rise because of you and me, son. We're good. But Father, I'm coming to you because I have no bread for them. So I come over and over. And the risk is extreme in your heart when you do that and nothing changes. And those are the ones when you pray for that baby, when you pray, those are the ones you, you, you remember, not actually the ones who get breakthrough. But yet, we must grab a hold of God. So I have to land this. This is travail in prayer. Uh, it's not something I speak about a lot because people tend to go on to earn, earn, perform. I hope you've heard my heart today. I know it was a little bit all over, more than normal. But prayer, to get to know the Lord, not the Bible, that's great, but the God of the Bible, to learn His voice, to know Him, just begin to pray. As a daily prayer, you come as a priest. It's got nothing to do with your life. Your father knows what you need. But speak to him. Just speak to him. As a travail in prayer, you come as a friend. Your relationship with the Lord is like, we're good. But Lord, I need something for them. And I don't have it. I've been in meetings where people have, because of the way God uses my dad, where people have clamored to touch my dad. And I don't like that to protect him. Because they look to people instead of to the Lord. I encourage you, just begin to pray. It's so easy. It's so simple. Just get some time. Begin to pray. David inquired of the Lord. And so I just trust today, stirred your heart. Begin to ask the Lord. He wants to answer he wants to speak to you. God does not give the assignment of prayer to keep you busy. It's actually because he desires to fulfill the request. That is in the Bible. So, can we stand? I know I went a little long. My apologies. Dale, my friend, will come in and tell me after how I went too long. Father, I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that we may come to you with open hearts, the heart that knows the heart of our Father, with simplicity, with calmness, and with ease. Let us learn as a people what it means to just speak to the Lord. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.